0: Well, good morning, everyone. Um, My name is Ben. If I haven't had the privilege of meeting you yet, I'm the community pastor here. And we're in a series right now called When Life Hurts, the four-week series as we look at some of the things that trouble us and pain us in life. We're in the third week this week. We're going to be looking at sadness as we look at Psalm 13, and we'll be touching on the topic of depression as well. So I need God's grace. Let's pray together before we begin. Father, we just uh, come before you, and, and, and I want to ask, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart might be pleasing in your eyes. Lead me, guide me, use me to bless your people this morning. And I just want to pray, Father, for anyone who is here or online who is in a deep, dark season of sadness or sorrow or depression, Lord, that you would speak to them in Jesus' name. Amen. So a few years ago I read a book called Even in Our Darkness. It's written by a man called Jack Deere. And as you can tell by the title, it's a book about dark things. It's really a book about his life, a memoir of the sufferings that he's faced. He grew up in America's South, and from the age six to the age twelve, his parents were at war with each other. He didn't know why, but his father ended the war when he was twelve by committing suicide. And uh, it was a terrible blow to his family because his mom was only educated at grade, grade 10 level. Uh, they lived in a time and a place of America where there was no way that she'd be able to provide for him and his three other siblings. And so the next few years, different men came in and out of the house. And he said he saw unspeakable things during those times. He, he lived an incredibly difficult life. Towards the end of high school, he met Jesus. But anyone who's a Christian knows that just because you find Jesus doesn't mean that life becomes smooth sailing all of a sudden. In fact, sometimes following Jesus means we'll suffer more because our master suffered in this life. And ultimately, his his suffering culminated later in life. After he was married and had adult children, one of his children, his son, Scott, took his life as well. And he says that in that period of time after Scott's death, he said they were thrust into a deep darkness. I was listening to a podcast this week where he was talking about his life, and he said he used to hold his wife at night for months just hearing her say, I miss Scotty, I miss Scotty. And she, he was actually worried that she would, she would fall off the cliff into insanity. And so they were in this deep, dark, troubling time. And during the season, some of the people that he knew were saying to him, you're never going to get over this. You're going to take this to the grave. You're always going to feel like this, and something flinched within him when they said that. He just didn't want to believe that. Would he? Would he really carry this this heavily for the rest of his life? Would he be forever maimed by what he experienced? How long? How long would this suffering last? And that's actually the question that David asks in Psalm 13. In the first two verses, he asks it four times of God in his suffering. He says, how long, how long, how long, how long will I feel this way? Will you not answer me? And this is why we need to look at Psalm 13 this morning, because David bears his heart to us. He, he, he gives us his prayer to God and he shows us how he walks through his own time of darkness and sorrow and heaviness. See, all of us go through these times. All of us feel sadness. All of us feel sorrow. There's a university professor in New South Wales who said that a study of university students found that 95% had periods of feeling depressed and feeling hopeless every six to eight weeks. So we should accept that a depressed mood is a universal and common experience. All of us experience depressed moods. That's just part of life. We need to learn how to navigate them, and that's why we need Psalm 13's help. We need David's help this morning. But maybe you're listening and you're, and you're thinking, Well, Ben, I don't just have depressed moods here and there. I've been diagnosed with something called clinical depression, and I've had this for a long time. Are you saying that a sermon is just going to fix things for me? And to be honest, no, I don't think a sermon will just fix things for you. Your feelings are valid, they are real. And I don't want to invalidate that. And in fact, there are two Psalms in the Psalter that don't end with any hope at all. One of them is Psalm 88. He doesn't end on any note of hope. And I, and I believe God's put those Psalms there in the Bible to show us that Christians can experience long seasons of darkness, even lifetimes of darkness. So you don't need to feel guilty if you suffer from clinical depression, In fact, I think it is such a beautiful thing that you are here this morning, that you got yourself out of bed to come and worship God and to hear from his word. That is a beautiful thing in his eyes. But on the other hand, let me just say that if you belong to God, while your feelings are valid and they're real, they are not permanent. God will heal you. He will take your sorrows away from you, whether in this life or the next. And he might just choose to use this sermon to help you a little bit today. Let me just say up front that I'm a pastor. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychologist. So I'm just going to be passing on to you some of the things that I've learned online as I've studied um, websites like the government's Health Direct website. It tells us that 1 in 16 Australians suffer from clinical depression every year. Judging by the people in this room, that could be around 10 of us in this room that suffer from clinical depression. And there are different types of this kind of depression. Uh, There are more genetic types, hereditary types that are more physically based, more chemically in the brain. There are those that are more situational or reactive disorders that come when crises are happening. And depression affects the whole person. It affects their emotions, their mind, their behaviors, their body. Uh, You can feel things like sadness or feel overwhelmed or feel hopeless. Um, In your mind, you can have thoughts like, it's all too much, Um, I'm no good, Uh, people would be better off without me. It it affects your body, so it affects your appetite. It affects your sleep. It can uh, manifest itself in a churning of the stomach. And it affects your behavior. Usually it looks like withdrawal, not doing the things that you normally enjoy doing, not seeing your friends, being less productive at work, drinking more. And if you're relating to any of these symptoms, and you don't know if you have some form of clinical depression, but you've been struggling with this, can I just encourage you to get further help? Uh, we're here for you as a church family. This is a place where it's okay to not be okay. And we can listen to you. We can pray with you. But um, if you're wondering, hey, is this something I should see a doctor about? The, the Health Direct website says if you're experiencing those sorts of symptoms for more than two weeks persistently, go and see a good GP. So if you feel like, oh, maybe this isn't enough, like if you've been experiencing that for more than two weeks, get further help. See a good GP. Talk to a safe friend. Pray with others. We want to help you. Now, I'm not sure if David could have been diagnosed with clinical depression. But we're going to look at three things that David did when his thought life was out of control, when he was weighed down by his sorrows, and he was in this hopeless situation for God knows how long. What did he do in the despair? Well, he did three things. He talked, he asked, and he trusted. T-A-T, tat. David had a tat. Well, not really, I don't know that. But we're going to get a tat this morning. We're going to get a full sleeve and go through the T-A-T. That's just to help you remember it, really. Um, So the first thing David did is T, talk. Talk. We see this in verses 1 to 2, and talking about our emotions, talking about how we're feeling is so important. I've recently become a big fan of journaling. I started doing that this year, and I keep badgering my wife saying, oh, you've got to start doing this. This is great. You know, it helps me so much. And she says to me, well, you know, I don't understand how talking about a negative emotion is going to help me. If I say, oh, I'm feeling sad, I'm just going to feel more sad. What's the point of doing this? And I'm not so graciously sent her a study that disproved her this week. Um, it was so good to find it was a scientific study by this psychotherapist and she referred to this um, research that was done a few years ago and they got a group of people who had arachnophobia is that what it's called? they were scared of spiders and about 80 people and they split them into four groups and they exposed them not just to any spider but to a tarantula And they asked them, hey, go up and touch this tarantula if you're able to. And then afterwards, they got group one to label what they were feeling, to say, "How I was scared. They got group two to talk about something irrelevant, like the furniture in the room. They got group three to speak about very coldly and objectively, the spider is furry and the cage is metal. And then group four said nothing at all. A week later, they got everyone in again in their four groups and exposed them to the spider again. And they measured their sweat in each case. They measured their heart rate like scientific measurements. And they found the first group that labeled their emotions coped better. They're actually able to cope better with the stress and with the anxiety of being exposed to this spider there's a professor in UCLA who has a theory about why it works this way. And if you're a neuroscientist, I'm sorry if I get things slightly wrong, but he said something along these lines. He said, you've got an amygdala in your brain, and there's a fight-flight-freeze response that happens in that brain. That's what it controls. And when you, when you get like, into a scary situation, the amygdala is activated. And it's kind of like you've got this feedback loop, he reckons, with your prefrontal cortex, the f- front part of your brain that does the higher-order thinking. And it's kind of like there's this feedback loop. And when you label your emotions, you say, I feel fearful. It's kind of like your prefrontal cortex says to your amygdala, hey, we know what this is. We've labeled this. You can calm down now. Like, we're going to start solving this problem. That's his theory anyway. Either way, modern science was already being, like, has just proven the ancient wisdom of God in David's life 3,000 years ago. He got honest with God so honest in the first couple of verses that sometimes it feels like he's almost being irreverent or or blasphemous. He's complaining to God about God. Now, I don't know if you've ever noticed that when you're reading the Psalms, you think this seems a bit too much at times. It seems like uh, maybe a little irreverent, like how can they talk to God like this? Well, I had some help from Timothy Keller this week, a pastor in New York, and he said it's not sinful because they're still talking to God. About it, Like, don't get me wrong, they're not cursing or swearing at God, but they have some really big critiques sometimes, some really strong complaints that they bring to God. And the fact that they speak to God about it betrays something. It betrays the fact that they still have some measure of faith in Him. Otherwise, they wouldn't be speaking to Him. In World War II, no one was going up to Hitler and saying, oh, just hoping for his ear and hoping that they could tell him, hey, this is really hard, can you please stop doing this? No one thought that because no one trusted his heart. But the fact that these psalmists were bringing their complaints to God meant that there was some measure of trust in their hearts for God still. And it means that we can bring our struggles, our real struggles to God. This is what David did in verses one to two. He said, how long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart. How long will my enemy triumph over me? See, David was really struggling. He was weighed down with sorrow. And he must have been praying about this situation for a long time. That's why I keep saying, how long? And these verses show us that he was really dealing with three problems at the same time. His suffering was complex. He was dealing with a problem outside of him inside of him and above him. His crisis was complex. There was an outside problem, an external problem that triggered it all. He talks about it at the end of verse 2. He says, how long will my enemy triumph over me? In verse 3, he talks about his worry about sleeping in death. And then in verse 4, he talks about his enemy gloating over his downfall. Now, we don't know what specifically David was going through, but we know from what he's saying that there's an enemy That hates him, that wants to see him fall, perhaps wants to take his life. And that was creating heaviness on David. It created a problem on the outside that precipitated a problem on the inside. He started to struggle with his thoughts. He says in verse 2 How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? Have you ever experienced that before? where these negative thoughts are just going around and around in your mind and you can't seem to break out of them? Well, David had been experiencing this for a long time. And I just want to offer you some advice here from Martin Lloyd-Jones. He's one of the great preachers of last century. He was a medical doctor by training, and he preached some famous sermons of what he called spiritual depression. And I just found his advice so helpful. This is what he said. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problem of yesterday and so on. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment in Psalm 42, was a different Psalm he was talking about, was this. Instead of allowing the self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, he asks. His soul had been repressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. The main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. And then you must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is, what God is, and what God has pledged himself to do. Then having done that, end on this great note. Defy yourself and defy other people and defy the devil and the whole world and say with this man, I will yet praise him for the help of his countenance, who is also the health of my countenance and my God. I just love what Martin Lloyd-Jones says That I love the defiance at the end there. We need to stop listening to ourselves and start preaching the truth to ourselves. The problem outside of David created a problem inside of David. Wrestling with his thoughts, sorrows weighing him down. But it also created a problem above. His suffering was compounded by what it said to him about God. He felt that his suffering meant that God's faith was hidden from him, that God didn't care, that God wasn't listening. And that's why it's so important for us to have healthy expectations about suffering in the Christian life. We need to know that Jesus said we will have trouble in this world. In John's gospel, he said that. He said that we are not above him, our master. Jesus was the one who suffered. If we follow him, we should expect to suffer. He doesn't promise us health, wealth, and prosperity in this life. And so, if we're ready for that, our suffering will not be as intense in this spiritual aspect. But still, even if you have a good understanding, crises can do this to you, can't they? They can make you question, they can make you doubt. A couple of weeks ago, my lovely wife, Michan, she broke her ankle. We were away camping, and she broke her ankle, and I just remember being there on the dirt with her after we called the ambulance with her just in agony, and I just wish I could have taken away the pain, and I was there for 45 agonizing minutes, just trying to help her to breathe, just praying for her, and praying for her, and praying for her, and I just felt like my prayers were just sort of finishing right there, just like not going anywhere. I just felt like God was far from me. I, I kind of wonder, why? What? What purpose could her breaking her ankle serve? And I've dealt with that and I've resolved that with God and talking to Him already. But the point is, crises can do that to us, can't they? They can make us doubt sometimes. And that's what David's feeling in this psalm. When we experience negative emotions about God, when dark thoughts are swirling around in our mind, when everything seems to be going around us, we need to talk, we need to be honest with God that's the first thing David did and the second thing he did was ask we see this in verses 3 to 4 he asked he said look on me and answer lord my god give light to my eyes or i will sleep in death and my enemy will say i have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when i fall you see david wants god's favor here He's asking for God's face to be turned towards him. He's asking God to answer him. He's asking God to send his light to pierce through the darkness that he feels covered by. And David didn't just do this once. He's been asking for a long time already. Psalm 13 shows us that God may delay in answering the prayers of his children. That can be a normal Christian experience and that we may not understand why he hasn't answered. Our job is to keep asking. In fact, Jesus encouraged us to do this in his ministry when he told a story, a parable, about a widow and a judge. He told the story about this widow, she'd received injustice and she took her case before this judge, but the judge was indifferent. He didn't really care. And so he just dismissed the case. But the widow kept going back day after day after day after day, bringing this case to the judge until the judge finally said to himself, I don't care about this widow, but she's beating me down with her persistence, so I'll grant her what she's asking for. And then Jesus talks about that story. He says, God's not like that judge. He's not wicked, he's not indifferent. You're his child, he loves you. So, how much more should you keep asking? You have his ear. Keep persisting in prayer. Keep asking Him for what you need. This is what David did. He talked to God. He asked God for what he needed. But our tat is not yet complete. David did one more thing as he wrestled with the darkness. He trusted God. We see this in verses five to six. And there were three things that David's trust were based on what he knew, what he experienced, and what he did. What did he know? Well, he says in verse 5, but I trust in your unfailing love. In the original Hebrew, he said, but I trust in your chesed. It's this wonderful Hebrew word that's difficult to translate into English, but he's saying, I trust in your loyalty, your love, your faithfulness, your kindness, your promise-keeping nature, your covenant faithfulness. David knew this was his God in his suffering. He knew this was his God, and this is part of the reason why he could trust God. It was what he knew. There was also what he had experienced. He said in the rest of verse 5, my heart rejoices in your salvation. David had experienced God's salvation in his life, God's rescue in his life before. And isn't this what we've experienced, church? We've experienced the salvation of Jesus in our dark times, we can still look back, back at Jesus and what he did for us and rejoice in him. What did he do for us? He took our sorrows into his deepest heart and carried them to the cross. Isaiah 53 describes him for us. It says, he was a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering you see jesus had sorrow in his heart day after day just like david did but his sorrow was a pure sorrow jesus wasn't wasn't sorry for himself he wasn't sorrowful because of how he was misunderstood and mistreated and ultimately nailed to a cross He had a pure sorrow. His sorrow was for us, for his children, for sinners and sufferers. Jesus took up our pain and suffering so that in all our sorrow and despair and hopelessness, we can know there is still hope. We have not been forgotten. You see, God's face will only ever feel like it's hidden from us because it was truly hidden from Jesus at the cross. God's face will only ever feel like it's hidden from us because it was actually hidden from Jesus at the cross when he experienced the full displeasure of God's anger against sin, when he gave himself over to death, when he experienced his enemies standing there and mocking him and gloating over him as he hung there dying. Jesus went through all of that because of the burden that he carried for sinners and sufferers. So that the sadness and sorrow and even the stubborn darkness of depression need only be temporary. Jesus was crushed by the weight and the cause of our sorrows so that our hearts need not be crushed. We have experienced salvation so we can trust in God. David too had experienced salvation. He knew his God was a God of unfailing love. He'd experienced his salvation. And the third thing that undergirded his trust was what he did. David praised God. He said in verse six, I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. I love what Derek Kidner says about the psalm. He's a famous commentator on the psalms. He says, the eye is emphatic. However great the pressure, the choice is still his to make, not the enemy's. I will sing the Lord's praise, David said. When we encounter sorrow and sadness, when our hearts are weighed down and our thoughts accuse us, we can do what David did, T-A-T. We can talk honestly to God, we can ask him for what we need, and we can trust him in the meantime. And you know, this is what Jack Deere did in his life. As I read his book and as I listened to the podcast of him sharing this week, I could see that this, this TAT was present in his life. He talked about the friendship that he had with God and how he talks to God about his issues. He, I'm sure he asked God for what he needed and he trusted him for years in that time of great darkness after his son's death. He said it was seven long years of just feeling under that shadow. Seven years before he finally felt God break through and bring healing to him. And you know, if God can do that for Jack, God can do that for you. You Talk to God, you can ask God, you can trust God, and God can bring healing to you. He can bring wholeness to you. He He can bring that sense of okayness back to your heart. But at the same time, I don't pretend to know the mind of God. God can do that for you, but I don't know if he will. I don't know if your life will follow more the path of Psalm 88, where it's darkness without hope until you see Jesus face to face. I don't know. But what I do know is, is that God's face is not hidden from us because it was actually hidden from Jesus. So we can look to our Father's face right now and we can tell him what we need. So let's pray to him together. And as you bow your heads and close your eyes, I'm just going to give us a time to silently respond to God in this prayer time. So I'm going to lead us. I'm going to begin with praying, and I'm going to give us a couple of silent moments where you can just silently speak to God yourself. Father, we just come before you. We bring our hearts to you, Lord. We thank you that we have your face, your countenance, your love. We thank you, Jesus, for the great price you paid to give us hope. And Lord, we just want to bring ourselves to you, especially if we're feeling covered in the darkness right now, Lord. We just want to start with that first T. We want to talk to you. Please give us words in this time of silence now. Help us to talk to you, Father. And Lord, we also want to ask you. We want to ask you for what we need. And in this time of silence, we do that, Father. And Father, we just want to say this morning as your people, we trust you trust your heart. We trust you because of what Jesus did for us. We give ourselves to you. Have your way among us, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.